They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! Welcome to Feed vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where your host, Feed the Terrible Aussie Jemine, explores the remakes, re-edits, reimaginings, homages, and unofficial follow-ups to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes Morgues and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. This podcast contains coarse language, mature discussions, and plot spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. G'day everyone, this is B. Jemine, aka The Terrible Aussie, and welcome back to episode 5 of Beat vs. the Living Dead, which just happens to be the first episode of 2023. Now, we had quite a massive year uh, in 2022 with the first four episodes of the show, which I'm very proud of in terms of how they were received and also how they were downloaded as well. And also just even the discussions we talked about on those episodes. They were a lot of fun. And now we've come to a brand new year. We have a year's worth of episodes coming up over the next 12 months. Yes, there's a lot more Night of the Living Dead content out there in terms of remakes, reimaginings, re-edits, unofficial sequels and whatnot. So there'll be it's going to be quite an exciting year for this journey of the show. And I'm glad that you all are going to be going on this with me. To start off this year, we're going to do something a little bit different. Because we're going to be talking about two different versions of Night of the Living Dead. And to join me on this one, I have not one, not two, but three very special guests joining me on this episode. First up, of course, is someone who's making his return after appearing on the very first episode of the of the show. And that, of course, is Marcus Wilton. Hello, Marcus. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Uh, just enjoying. Uh, it's a new year. New opportunities coming up for the show, and uh, it's going to be an exciting one for for the next 12 months because, like I said, there's so much Night of the Living Dead stuff to talk about, so I'm very excited to uh, to see how this year goes for the show. And I'm also glad you're back on this episode as well after uh, being on the first one. I know, man. Thanks again for having me once again. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And not only is Marcus our returning guest, we have a two brand new guests who are making their debut appearance on the show. First up, of course, is someone who I've known for quite a long time now, since the days of the Joe Blow <laughs> forums, and she has appeared on many episodes of my other shows that I host over at the Super Network throughout the years, and that, of course, is my good friend, Amy Doll. Hello, Amy, how are you? I'm doing all right, Bede. How's your 2023 going so far? It's been all right here. Well, it's been going pretty good so far, at least compared to, like, uh, the tail end of 2022, which, uh, after, not no joke, after recording the last episode of the show at the end of last year, I actually came down with COVID a few di- few days after that, so that was a fun experience. So, But I'm all better now, and I'm all healthy, and uh, now I've got that whole experience out of the way. 
So I'm hoping that, yeah, that this year will be a good one. And how about yourself, Amy? What have you been up to? Oh, I'm doing all right. Just doing my usual thing. Um, you know, hope. Hoping 2023 is better than the last year, and even though I didn't come down with COVID, uh, just in the uh, middle of December, we had 15 inches of snow dump in our area. So, yeah, that wasn't the that was a kind of a pleasant how do you do, and uh, just enough fuel for me to just flip off 2022 when it was going out the door. But uh, also, we're joined by a second guest who is also making his debut appearance on the show and he is also the host of the podcast half-priced horror and that of course is and that of course is john cv hello john how are you hello i'm doing good i'm down in the basement which i believe means i have a very good chance of surviving the night whatever ben might say <laughs> well as long as you don't step outside of that basement let's just say that look i'm hearing noises it's like the whole place is being torn down how am i supposed to know what's happening <laughs> exactly exactly well you're in the safe place to be at the moment so i'm glad all of you are all here for this uh first episode of 2023 of bead versus the living dead now we've come to the question part of the episode before we dive into the films we're going to be talking about tonight marcus you've already answered this question before so i'm going to ask both amy and john this question and it's one that i always ask of every new guest that does pop up on the show and that of course is Amy, John, do you remember the first time you saw Night of the Living Dead? First up, Amy, when was the first time you saw the original 1968 classic? Uh, first time I saw Night of the Living Dead and actually any of the Romero zombie movies was the summer of 2005. Because uh, beforehand, I kind of had this uh, thing like started in middle school where it's like zombies like really creep me out. And so I just kind of naturally, like, I just stayed away from those movies just because I knew they would, like, mess me up so much. Uh, but then, like, you know, the more I got into movies, the more I got into horror, it's like, okay, just kind of, you know, take a deep breath and uh, dive in. So, like, right around when Land of the Dead was coming out in theaters, I finally watched, like, the original trilogy in a month. So, you know, Night, uh, Dawn, and Day. And uh, I remember renting uh, the Night of the Living Dead tape from this old of video store it was it was literally called the video store and it was about an hour north of where i live and it's the same place where i drove like an hour out of my way to go rent cool as ice with vanilla ice on vhs <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah they had like this deal where you're like you get a whole like five movies for five dollars or whatever so i was there and they had a huge selection and it was like, oh, I've never seen this. I'll just, you know, kind of pick it up. And, yeah, that was it. I took it home, watched it, and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. And, uh, John, when was the first time you saw uh, Night of the Living Dead? Surprisingly late. Uh, we live in a, an area that's got, like, four or five UHF stations. So my childhood was just tons of old TV reruns and late-night cheap movies but for some reason, Night of the Living Dead just never crossed my my screens growing up. And it wasn't until college when I decided I am living near a video store. I have free time. I have free money for the first time. I am going to educate myself on horror. And I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween and The Exorcist and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And in there was Night of the Living Dead as well. Oh, awesome. And uh you know, I don't want to leave you out of the lurch uh, too, um, Marcus, so I've decided to give you a very special question. 
like you're over a special <laughs> question. But John and Amy, you're more than welcome to add into this one as well. Given the, t- the two films we're going to be talking about tonight, Marcus, what is your favorite episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Girl in Gold Boots. Ooh. Uh, yeah. I, uh, Good choice. Yeah, it's, it's funny because the very first uh, Mystery Science Theater I ever watched was uh, actually Space Mute. And oh, right even though that's, that one. yeah, definitely. That's, that's one of my favorites too. But uh, I think around that time, I didn't particularly know what I was watching. So I, I took face me with kind of a, like a little bit of a grain of salt. I was like, okay, well this is, I don't know what this is, but it's, it's, it's interesting, you know? And um, it wasn't until like a few years later I uh, I used to have this uh, very good friend of mine who was just positively obsessed with mystery science. And he had like every episode and every time we would hang out, he would play video games and he would just pop on like mystery science just for me to watch. And at first it was kind of annoying because I, you know, I wanted to watch something different. But sooner or later, like after I, I believe it was after I watched the, the Mitchell episode. I started to kind of get into it, like more and more and more, and then all of a sudden, Girl in Gold Boots popped up, and I think uh, the very first time I watched that, I did not stop laughing, like <laughs> from minute one to the final frame, and it's been my personal favorite, like ever since. I mean, I've seen pretty much all of it now, but I always go back to that one, so that's definitely my favorite. Oh, awesome. I was not expecting that. And that's actually, I haven't seen that episode of the show, but that's actually a pretty good out of left field choice. So I'll have to definitely uh, check that one out for sure. But I know uh, Amy and John, like one of the reasons you're both on this episode as well is because I know you both are Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans. So uh, Amy, what's your favorite episode of the show? Oh, hands down, my favorite episode is Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. Uh, just just for a number of reasons, because it's one of those perfect movies where the production values like aren't the greatest, uh, but there's enough of a germ of an interesting story, so you're not just like bored the whole time. So they're just having fun with it, and you have some good actors who are trying their best with some just silly ass material, and like almost all of the jokes are just like home run winners. I remember the first time the and, and even just not even necessarily jokes. Just like them making noises as the fat man is walking around, just like like the first time I saw that, like I about died laughing. I was wheezing and could not just, and I'll still say random quotes. Just like yeah, I'm farting Monopoly cards, and like it is insanely quotable, and I have never stopped laughing or loving that episode. (laughs) And what about you, John? Well, for me, I'd say it was probably Zombie Nightmare. Um, that Ooh. one has kind of a personal connection to me because it premiered while I was in college and they were doing a college campus tour. And I'm from the Twin Cities, which is, you know, where the show started. I actually remember seeing it on KTMA, the little independent station that absolutely couldn't. Um <laughs> And so they they turned out in full. The whole cast was there for it, and they did Q&A, and then they premiered the brand-new episode. And it was just – it was a wonderful night, and it's still a very funny episode. It's got Adam West in it, and it's got decent production values, and it's just 
goofy as all hell. <laughs> well, I guess for me, like, I, it's always a toss-up between these two episodes of the show, but uh, definitely one of my two favorites, and I again, it has to be a tie between these two, is uh, Hobgoblins is definitely one of my personal favorite episodes. Classic episode from beginning to end every joke is just amazing and just lands perfectly but i would say what another favorite of mine and i never hear anyone ever talk about this episode is uh the leech woman that one is an absolutely hilarious episode and just every now and again when i think of that episode i just have to let out of just let out a jab And um, that one I would definitely recommend anyone who has seen a few episodes of the show or has seen quite a lot of episodes. Definitely that's one to go seek out if you haven't seen it because it is a lot of fun. But I think all these episodes we all mentioned are great episodes in their own right and definitely worth uh, watching. But we're not talking about Mystery Science Theater 3000, even though we could do an entire podcast on it. Um <laughs> We're here to talk about Night of the Living Dead, because we're... uh... (laughs) So, for this episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the colorized version of Night of the Living Dead. And given that we were talking about MST3K, we're going to be talking about the live riff tracks version of their episode on Night of the Living Dead. So, those are going to be the two main topics we're going to be talking about tonight. But uh, we'll start off, of course, by talking about... The colorized version. Yeah, it looks like about eight or ten out there now. It's more than there were. There are a lot out back, too. Now, for all those out there who don't remember what Night of the Living Dead is about, um, <laughs> the film, of course, is uh, directed by George A. Romero, written by George A. Romero and John A. Russo. And, of course, it stars Dwayne Jones, Judith O'Day, Carl Hardman, Marilyn Eastman, Keith Wayne, Judith Ridley, and uh, Bill Hinsman as the cemetery zombie. And, of course, the plot summary for this film is a ragtag group of Pennsylvanians barricade themselves in an old farmhouse to remain safe from a horde of flesh-eating ghouls that are ravaging the east coast of the United States. Now, we've kind of already talked about Night of the Living Dead a lot on the very first episode, so we definitely, well, Marcus in particular and I talked a lot about that film, but uh, before we actually go into what we think of the colorized version of the film, 
Amy, share us your thought, overall thoughts on the, the film Night of the Living Dead. I actually, I, I really like it. Uh, at the time when I first, uh, you know, watched it, I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be one of those things where it's like, wow, it was really something in its day, but like the 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 scares or whatever would have kind of like dampered over time. But no, it's like, it does definitely have some uh, flaws and uh, just in terms of like pacing and I've, I, and I don't know, I can't really blame Judith O'Day, but like Barbara is just kind of there a lot of the time. And I understand what they were going for, but it's like, she, she can kind of do something else. Uh, but yeah, just rewatching it. Um, even with the commentary, I still really like it. And I really liked it. Uh, the first time it was definitely a huge, uh, step forward in horror at the time. Like I always go back to that, uh, Ebert review. You, that Roger Ebert review where he's talking like oh yeah these uh, kids were like they thought they were used to horror movies and so they were there and <laughs> along comes this kind of nihilistic uh, nihilistic horror film with you know shades of you know social commentary and classism and like they just didn't know what hit them where it's like yeah at the end like the hero dies and or one of the heroes dies like almost everyone everyone dies <laughs> and it's like <laughs> okay there's no hey the cavalry has come to save us like that's it kids and uh so even not even just in terms of like something that was that was like aimed for kids or whatever but just horror in general or it was something this bleak and uh extremely atmospheric and it really plays up the uh, I, uh, the idea of like the unknown because like you don't know how many of those are out there they just keep coming and coming and you, you can, it's like the Terminator you can't reason with them it's just they want you and they will stop and this that whole isolated setting where they barely know what's going on outside where it's like oh yeah there's some like the, the ghoul attacks and then just stuff stops and it's like oh god this well, all the nightmare scenarios being cooked up in your head, and this is just one slice of that. And uh, so, yeah, in that respect, Night Living Dead is—it's—it's uh, it's got some flaws for me, but it is absolutely a classic, and I do really enjoy it. Yeah, well, we kind of talked about like that first screening, like the one that Roger Ebert attended uh, when he was reviewing the film. And sometimes I keep thinking I would have loved to have been in that screening with him just to see all those kids' reaction to the film because. I think I sort of talked about this on the first episode that they probably all those kids probably went being that it was a matinee screening and they all probably went into that screening thinking like it was just going to be, you know, your normal average B horror film, you know, like the many type of ones they have probably have already seen uh, over the years up to that point. And just the shift in tone where it starts off kind of being like that at first. But when you get to the scene where the uh, the characters of Tom and Judy are killed and the zombies start eating uh, their bodies and just ripping their entrails and everything from their bodies and start chowing down on them. Like, it is a very gruesome scene. And I can't even imagine, like, anyone back in 1968 could watch this scene and not actually be completely shocked by what they're seeing, especially if you're, like, a 10-year-old kid watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, fuck, fuck them kids. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. But um, <laughs> but uh, John, what are your overall thoughts on uh, Night of the Living Dead? I, I mean, I think it's a landmark achievement, not just in horror, but 
in cinema. I, I mean, it, it always strikes me that there are two movies that came out in 1968, 2001, A Space Odyssey, and this. And looking at them, they couldn't be more different. You know, Kubrick had all the money in the world and was working with these brilliant pioneers in special effects and consulting with NASA. And here's these guys out in this farmhouse shooting on weekends and, you know, using a pit toilet. But in some ways, they are both very alike in that they change the way we see movies. Night of the Living Dead, within a year, it was playing in the Museum of Modern Art. It's it's such an enormous achievement in cinema that I don't think movies would be the same if we didn't have it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, even with having, and you're right about the 2001 comparison being that that's also another film that kind of just changed cinema that same year. But then also you have the other end of the spectrum with this tiny little horror film, which we've I've already kind of discussed on previous episodes of the show, just changed the landscape of horror movies forever. And I don't think like Romero and co had any idea if this film would be able to do that. Like they just thought they'd just go out and make, you know, this sort of cheap little horror film where, you know, because horror films are easy to get made and they're easy to market and easy to be profitable, uh, only if they're in, not in the public domain. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's just interesting how this film kind of just changed everything. 55 years later, we're still feeling this film's influence and in every aspect of pop culture, not just in horror, but just in many facets as well. Hence why this film, given that it pretty much a few years afterwards went into the public domain, has got so many different versions. So, which, of course, brings us to the colorized version of this film. Now, we all know that Night of the Living Dead is probably one of the great black and white horror films of all time. It just, even 55 years later, like rewatching the film in prep for this show over the last few episodes, especially with the recent uh, restoration that Criterion did for their Blu-ray release, like this film just looks absolutely stunning. And the cinematography is just, which was done by George A. Romero himself, was is just simply amazing. For years, I knew there was a colorized version of this film. And I've always been very curious of what this film would look like in color. Now, I know that there have been different colorized versions of this film over the years. There's been about at least three. And the one that is sort of readily available out there at the moment is kind of the more recent one that was done in 2004. I'm kind of curious to hear what all of you think of this or feel about this film being in color. So, uh, Marcus, now you've already seen and we've already talked about Night of the Living Dead before on the first episode, which, of course, is the black and white version. How do you feel about this film being color? What is your thoughts on the colorized version of this film? Well, I mean, it's uh, well, first off, I will definitely say that it's incredibly jarring. You're so used to seeing, you know, the black and white version. It, once you <laughs> see the, the colorized one, it, it it feels like someone's playing a joke on you almost. Like it's, uh, it, I, I remember watching it the first time and being completely taken aback because it's just such a, like the colorization is good, you know, don't get me wrong, but it's just a lot of the, the, the choices made for each color as far as like, you know, the, the actor's wardrobe and, you know, certain 
lighting aspects here and there. You know, it, it, it takes a second for you to kind of get used to. But it also makes you realize just how much the black and white, white version, like just that being in black and white is just so essential to the film, you know, it, um, and how it just really encompasses everything else that we kind of love about it. So with this colorized version, it's almost as if you kind of have to start over from scratch when it comes to like experiencing it, or at least it, it, it felt like that to me. But it's, uh, it's good. It is. I'm not saying it's bad. It's good. It's just, it definitely takes a second for you to get used to. And once you do that, then you can kind of sort of like appreciate it for the version that it is. And then, of course, you know, you'll definitely see some, a lot of differences here and there. And you'll see some flaws here and there, you know, because the color does kind of accentuates that a little bit, kind of puts a spotlight on it. Like for the, the 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 iffiness of like some certain scenes and some parts and some views and some you know uh, even some lines I'm not gonna lie uh, it it it, it kind of puts a little bit of a not so much a damper but just kind of a, eh on it overall though it's it's still a pretty solid version of the film but you know like I said it it just takes for you it just takes time for you to get used to it. And what about you, Amy? How do you feel about the colorized version of this film? Uh, overall, like uh, Marcus uh, pretty much said a lot of uh, what I have to say. I didn't uh, mind it overall. I don't go out of my way to watch colorized versions. It's like, no, that's not of like black and white movies. I'm like, no, I'll, I'll stick with the original. And yeah, the colorization really bro- does highlight like how much that cinematography uh, the black and white cinematography just really helped with that eerie atmosphere because there are so many scenes that are just like so inky black. They're like, it's like the house is stranded in this void. It's like not even on planet Earth anymore. It's just in this whole other dimension and where things are just popping out of the dark. And then in the colorized version, you can kind of see, oh yeah, there's a little bit of light over there. And it's like, it, it's still light. It doesn't ruin anything, but it doesn't really... Uh, really benefit from it uh if anything um making it colorized and overall the quality of the colorization was a little bit on the muddy side but it wasn't too bad but just it being colorized and looking like that almost kind of helps it uh helps night living dead brit make a bridge between that and like the drive-in movies of like the later 60s and like in the 70s that would follow that were kind of like inspired by it where it's like oh hey we're uh, we're a small ragtag band of you know independent filmmakers. We can make something that'll really shock you. And so, uh, yeah, inspired by like what Night of the Living Dead did on so little money, they're like, okay, let's go make stuff like you know Blood Freak or The Trooper, or, uh, God Monster of Indian Flats, and it has that kind of like grunginess to it uh, that is kind of reflected in the colorized look. So it's not as you know, super sharp. It's a little on the on the janky side, but it it definitely helped in those uh, those driving movies that it helped inspire. So it's just kind of neat that it get, it gives it the same effect, like an alternate alternate universe. Like, what if Night of the Living Dead came out in like '72? You know what? I actually do agree with that because watching the colorized version, and I'll get to my thoughts on it in a bit. Watching it in that way did make me feel. I agree in the terms of that it kind of gives it more of that kind of grindhouse drive-in feel. 
especially like of the sort of genre films from the early 70s. Like it just sort of felt like that, especially because once you get like, especially when when Barbara gets to the farmhouse and sort of sort of explores the place, like a lot of those scenes, especially in color, kind of reminded me a little bit of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre when the characters go to the the farmhouse there. So it's kind of interesting seeing those kind of that that different feel and having that more grimy grindhouse feel and maybe that was deliberate with this colorization version of the film but uh john are your thoughts on the colorized version of this film i think the kindest thing i can say about it is that it's just profoundly unnecessary um i mean i'm old enough i'm probably showing my age here but i'm old enough to remember when colorization was pioneered back in the early to mid 80s and all of the debates that went on about it as an artistic choice because the thing about production designers and cinematographers is they do you know when they have a black and white film they're shooting for black and white they're they're designing for black and white they're aiming for those crisp shadows and those you know light uh, those bright lights and that high contrast atmosphere and likewise, when you are a filmmaker shooting for color, your production design is designing for color. And so having color just come in as an afterthought, to me, it, it you you lose so much of the of what makes the black and white so good, but you don't really gain a sense of designed color. It's just sort of people going, well, she's probably a blonde. That looks like maybe a green dress. It doesn't really feel like they're trying to achieve an artistic effect with it. It's just we don't think people will watch this if it's in black and white. So I'm I'm not really very high on it. It's not actively offensive, but I just don't see the point. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I guess for my overall thoughts on the colorized version of this film, I will admit, like you, Marcus, it was very jarring at first watching this in color. I will admit, like, as a colorized version, it's not too bad. Like, it was a pretty interesting experience watching this film in this way. And I will admit, like, I think how they sort of handled, you know, with the color and all that, it made the film look very vibrant. It actually looked really good. Like, I was kind of surprised in that regard. But it was very weird to sit watching a film that I'm used to, or I've seen so many times in black and white, and seeing it in color for the first time is quite an eye-opening experience in both a good and bad way like just seeing like the little details of what they would did with where they put certain colors or what they thought this what the color of this fabric could be even like looking at the zombies in this film themselves like when we were introduced to the cemetery zombie played by bill hinsman when we see i just assume like okay being that he's going to be dead like, they're going to make his face look a bit more whiter or maybe a different type of color compared to everybody else's skin tone. But watching him for the first time, I sort of looked at him and I'm like, his skin tone, or at least in this version of the film, looks almost similar to all the other characters in the film. Like, it was so it was a little bit jarring at first, but then as the film kind of went along and we introduced to all the different zombies, sometimes the... The, the how their faces were colored kind of a mixed of a little bit of white maybe a bit of green as well so it was so it was interesting kind of seen in that way but if a little inconsistent but yeah. what's but i do agree with uh in the hence that 
by kind of stripping this film away of all the black and white, it does lose that eerie atmosphere. Also, just because it it has a completely different tone, being that it's in oh. color. Yeah. And Anybody else? Maybe it's maybe it's me because I have two questions for you guys, but. I, one question I do want to ask: Did anybody feel like it was? It kind of felt a little bit like Reefer Madness. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, the same I, company did both, actually. Uh, Legend okay, Films is a, a colorization and 3D conversion outfit, and they released a version of Reefer Madness right after they released Night of the Living Dead, like within maybe maybe they were even simultaneous. So that may be why they feel so similar to you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, I haven't seen the uh, Reefer Madness yet, but I will have to at some point because being a bad movie connoisseur, I'll have to check that movie out at some point. <laughs> but um, it's kind of interesting, just like the tone of the film, this feeling so different being now in color. Like it doesn't have that eerie atmosphere. It doesn't even a way it doesn't feel as intense. Not since it's a much more vibrant color film, even though like. It does have that sort of grindhouse feel as well. But it's kind of interesting, just the choice of colours. Like, watching when Barbara's in the farmhouse, her wandering around, I sort of realised, like, it's a bit of an odd choice, like, having, like, one area of the kitchen with bright yellow wallpaper. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or even going in the, in the, uh, in the lounge room, and it's like a, a light blue colour as well. Or even just, like, noticing little things. Like, when we see Harry for the first time, his tie has sort of a light blue shade of colour to it. And also the other different characters as well. Although, even then, like, some of the colour kind of brings out certain things as well. Like, even in this version of the film, like, when we see Tom and his shirt is bright red, I notice more (laughs) the the sweat on him, even more so (laughs) this time around. Or even, like, when... um, Barbara, after when she wakes up after being slapped by Ben, they really sort of color in more of that bruise as well. Or even with Harry after he gets sort of uh, knocked around a bit later on by Ben as well, like they sort of go more so with the to make his bruises look even more sort of darker. And it's kind of interesting to see this film kind of, you know, how it uses the color. But also it's funny as well when it comes to the blood in the film, as we all know that they use chocolate syrup and other to make the blood look a little bit more thicker and darker. So kind of seeing it in bright red (laughs) in this film, in this version of the film was actually pretty interesting as well. So I'm kind of curious um, what all of you kind of think of the sort of the choices that they picked with specific color. So uh, what about uh, John, you first? I I can't stop thinking about... um, I mentioned this to you. There's actually an earlier version of this than the Rift Tracks version that was just Mike Nelson doing a commentary track. And yep. he riffs on that. He's like, you know, looking at this couch, you know, they had to make a lot of choices. Like, is this a person who's going to rub Cheeto dust all over the cushions? Or is he maybe going to spill a beer? You know, they, and he's just like going on and on about how you know, kind of gross the farmhouse is uh, and how it would have affected it. But again, that is my problem with it is I don't think they were really choices made. I think they were just sort of people trying to make the house look like a house and the people look like people. Mm. And I don't feel like it has that intentionality that something like 
I mean, the masterpiece is probably Shape of Water, where every color choice says something about the character and about the film and about the narrative. You don't get that sense with this. It's just sort of, well, probably a red T-shirt. Sure. He looks like a guy who might be wearing a red (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. And what about you, Amy? What are some of the uh, choices that stand out to you? Uh, Yeah, I pretty much agree with John. It was there was no real artistic uh, forces at work. It was just it was really like, let's make it look like a house. And I was going to comment earlier when you were talking about the blood when uh, Barbara's going through the house and like the blood is dripping down from the lady. And there's this like little pile there. And it's like it looks like like barbecue sauce. It's like sweet baby rays is dripping down. So I don't know if the zombies had a cookout up there or what. Uh, But I did. Like I don't, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I did kind of like the color for the ghouls because it had a mix of like it was mostly like like really chalk white, like the life had been drained out of them, like the blood had been drained out of them, but with like little things, little patches of kind of like either like dirt or grime or blood smear, so like just enough color so it didn't look like they just use like paint, like clown makeup or like. On white, and it's like okay, we'll call it a day. That's a ghoul, and so yeah, the colorization for the zombies, like they all you know look distinct. They look distinct, but there was a uniformity uh, to the like the overall uh, aesthetic in terms of like the the use of color and everything. So I actually did kind of like the the color being used. And it was a, it was especially evident during the zombie that was coming that had walked in through the door while Ben was tending to the other one. It was like creeping up behind. Uh, uh, Barbara, and then they had that little fight going on, and it's like, yeah, that, that looked like a good ghoul, and so it wasn't a necessary thing to colorize the entire movie, but I'm, you know, glad that they, you know, when it came to the zombies, they made them look pretty decent. I was just gonna say, wasn't there an 80s colorization of this, where they just made all of the ghouls bright green, like neon green? Yep. Apparently, oh, by no. Apparently, in my research, like one of the earlier version, colorized versions of this film, all the zombies looked a lot more greener. And I did find some information on that, so I'll read a little bit out of it here. The first, and I'm getting all my information here from IMDb, so I don't, sorry, not IMDb, uh, Wikipedia, so I don't mess anything up. Uh, the first revisions of Night of the Living Dead involve colorization for home video distributors. Hal Roach Studios released a colorized version in 1986 that featured the ghouls with pale green skin. Another colorized version from 1997 from Anchor Bay Entertainment had a gray-skinned zombies, while in 2004, Legend Films, which is the version that is commonly out there at the moment, produced a new colorized version, which was released on DVD by 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. So, yeah, you're right. Like, the earliest version of this film, that the zombies had a much more greener skin compared to the version in this film. And and I wonder, like, how much of that was the... Uh the distributor, the people doing the colorization were like, oh yeah, the zombies, they're monsters, they're like a Frankenstein. Just kind of make them like a Frankenstein. That, that'll <laughs> scare the kids or, like, it'll be familiar. So so maybe in, when, like, Legend came around, was like, okay, let's make them more, like, chalk white. I'll put a little bit more thought into it. So maybe they did just kind of pay a little more attention to that as opposed to, like, yeah, it's a zombie, it's green, yeah, or whatever, bruh. 
<laughs> I reckon they should have made them blue so it could be consistent with the with Dawn of the Dead. Just, that's just me. Um, <laughs> but uh, Marcus, your thoughts on some of the choices with color in this film? I think I was trying to give it a little more credit than I deserved at times because you know we've seen so many films that really do just bring out certain objects or people or clothing or events and they really just you know just beef up the color to really like you know signify something in the story so this i was definitely kind of reaching because i know like when i first saw you know tom i was like i wonder if that's a star trek reference because you know i, <laughs> I thought the same thing too i thought the <laughs> same thing too i'm not gonna lie because, you know, I believe, like, Star Trek was out in 1966. I mean, I couldn't help but to kind of place that on there a little bit. And and then there were times when the color just made everything so much brighter than it needed to be. So <laughs> I was like, wait, is this, this supposed to take place in the middle of the night? So why does it look like there's, like, a supernova going on outside, you know? Or, <laughs> you know, it, it, it just, it was always... And very, like, chopped up. Like, uh, I, I remember during the the plan, you know, when they're trying to get uh, the, the gas into the truck and everything, there's literally, a, a like, one quick part where it shows, uh, I guess, the, the zombies and the trees and the sky, and, and it's straight up blue in one scene, and then in the next is black. And in that that blue scene, it looks like this, it was almost, it was like morning time already. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 funny because we've seen so many films, you know, that do this. And when you see this one, you you can't help but to kind of okay, well, what does this color mean? What does that color mean? You know, and and then you know, it's it, it they just just pick them very randomly. Like it it was very. Uh, that's why I referred to, you know, Reefer Madness earlier, because a lot of those colors in that film are particularly, like, thick and bright. And, and I know that was on purpose, I believe. I thought this might have been on purpose, but it, 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 it wasn't. Oh, and, and the biggest one of all, the brightness of the fire. Like, I, I, I swear, anytime, you know, like, the uh, fire in, in any capacity, it was way brighter than it needed to be. So I, I it, it was like I said, just just completely jarring. I don't know. It's uh, you 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 love the movie, but you're, you're trying to make sense of all the choices, and not that many good ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, day for night sequences stood out even more so in this colorized version. It just made it even more noticeable, especially when it kind of goes from being. Probably, you know, getting a bit darker to, like, pitch black, like, within a few seconds. Like, it's even more noticeable uh, here. But there are some interesting things about the colorized version as well. This will, I guess will be the last kind of things we'll talk about uh, in this in this discussion on this version, is when it comes to the news footage, they keep all that stuff black and white, which makes sense given that, you know, a lot of televisions at the time were still showing television shows and newscasts in black and white. So at least that made sense. And if they did, I would think that would probably be a little bit more weirder. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And um, and interestingly enough, with the, the last 
few seconds of the film, which of course we get to the ending, where they show the kind of the photographs of what happened after when Ben was shot by the townsfolk, like all the photos, which, you know, in the original version are in black and white. All those photos now in this version are in color. Now I know in the other, in one of the other previous colorized versions of this film, they actually still kept the photos black and white rather in color. So I'm kind of curious, like, everyone's thoughts on both the news footage and also the final shots of this film, kind of how they use their color. Like, you know, the newscast still being in black and white, but now the photos at the end being in color. Uh, Marcus, your thoughts on that? Um, when it comes to the broadcast, I, I hate to say it again, I feel like a broken record, but again, just completely caught me off guard because I expected them to color that but you know they didn't which you know it's understandable and you know it still is kind of in keeping with the original version of the film so you know that didn't really lose any of its tension or impact and as far as the the pictures at the end i mean it uh it worked but i'll say this I kind of feel like if they were going to put any kind of like color in in Night of the Living Dead, they should have saved it for that part. Because I, I feel like that would have been a lot more of a, a nice little oomph on the ending. I mean, because the ending is pretty much bleak and, you know, desolate anyway, you know, but having like those pictures be in color after like the, the, the black and white and the noir and the darkness and everything, I think it really would have kind of put like a nice fine fine mark you know on the film than it, than it already was but like i said that's just my and uh ab your thoughts uh i liked that they uh they did the uh, uh newscast in black and white i still i like that they still kept it like that mostly because my first thought if someone was going through it they would just they would just not even have that in mind like oh yeah this rickety farmhouse in the middle of nowhere uh, wouldn't would have a wouldn't have a color TV or whatever, and so they just wouldn't even think about that and just colorize the the whole damn thing because it would be too hard or otherwise or whatever. So I just like how they kept in continuity by keeping the broadcast uh, in black and white. In terms of the uh, colorization at the for the photographs at the end, uh, that's where it got uh, way way muddled for me. It just kind of looked. Looked icky, and not in the sense that like, oh, the, these are, images are disturbing. It's more like, well, well, what am I seeing right now? Because I think like something that John had said earlier, when they planned for it, like in black and white, they had like uh, certain things in mind in terms of like, okay, so they had lighting factored in and this factored in, uh, so that when it was in black and white, it looked you know distinct and it looked the way it the way it does and so just throwing color on it just kind of without a whole lot of thought just kind of makes the results a whole lot muddled so those end photographs for me were just kind of like oh this is no great great way to set off the movie it was just like oh i just barely see shit (laughs) and uh john your thoughts well i do like the the broadcast being in black and white because yes i mean they wouldn't have had a color TV in a rickety old farmhouse like that. I mean, we still had a black and white TV in our home in the 80s. It wasn't our main TV, but, you know, we had like a secondary portable TV that was still black and white. 
So that did feel very fitting to the character, and it showed some intentionality, which was something I was complaining was missing from the rest of the colorizing, and that was nice. The color photos, I like it as a premise, but I think you would have need to do a lot more work on them to make them look like 1968 Polaroid photos, you know, with that that sort of washed out color that that comes from that film stock of that era. As it is, they look like photos that have been tinted, which is an art form in and of itself. And a lot of people do that to kind of give you a better idea of how history lived. But it doesn't really it, it it's not done that way here and it's not done for effect. And again, I feel like you got to do this stuff for effect, because that was one of the things that was so great about the original movie is Romero was thinking about every choice. He spent a ton of time in the editing room selecting just microseconds of film. This just doesn't feel like it's got that same level of attention to detail. Yeah, I kind of agree with all your points. Every, pretty much, like, I think, again, like I stated before, like, the black and the news footage being in black and white feels very appropriate and of the time, so I had no issue with that. It actually made it even more effective, like, having it contrast with the colour of the rest of the film. But I think with the photos at the end, like, one of the things every time I watch that, this film and with the ending is how impactful those photos are because they remind me so much of other similar photos that were taken during the 50s and 60s so it's very obvious when when they were doing like this was a very deliberate choice of them kind of mirroring like how photographs were taken at the time especially with uh with a lot of the big events that were happening so like in those photos in particular just have just such an impact especially when you do see ben's body in those photos and how and how they treat his body when they go throw him on the fire like it's it's very impactful but kind of seeing it in those same photos in color kind of lessen the impact of what i think the ending has because again maybe it's because i'm used to seeing those photos in color and again, like maybe if they just kept those photos as black and white, because yes, even though, yeah, color photography was a thing during the 60s, but black and white photography was still being used as well. And I think if they kind of kept those photos in black and white, it would have just still kept the 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 feel of that ending the same. But I feel like it kind of lessens the impact a little bit by showing them in color. But that being said, though, one thing I did notice in these photos, and I don't know if it was the same for all of you or maybe it's just because i'm only kind of noticing certain things for the first time in this colorized version is that when they're showing the pictures of ben on the pile of zombies you can also for a quick second actually see the cemetery zombie in that pile as well like i at least a, a zombie that i think might be the cemetery zombie because it looks very similar and i never really kind of noticed that until like seeing this in color so it's kind of interesting seeing that but that being said though i don't know if it um if the ending has quite the punch it has by being in color since it was you know deliberately from the very beginning meant to be in black and white so but that's just me though um <laughs> but um but i guess that could be a wrap on the, this discussion of the colorized version of night of living dead i think we had a lot of it 
a lot of interesting discussions talking about the choices when it comes to this film. But uh, but is it worth watch though? Uh, John, do you think the colorized version is worth a watch, especially if you kind of watch it as a curiosity more than anything? I think the colorized version with the jokes is absolutely worth watching. Um, mm. You know, I, I'm a big fan of MST3K. I've been watching them since I was, you know, in junior high school. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I will put this on and not even look at it. I, I, so to me, it doesn't necessarily register that it's colorized because mm. I'm doing something else and I'm listening to the jokes. So with that in mind, certainly these versions that we're talking about absolutely are worth watching. By itself, though, I have the original Legend Films version of this from 2004. For you to, you know, for you to get the riffs, you have to switch to the color version. If I'm not Ooh. listening to it for the riffs, I never put on the color version. And Amy, yourself, what are you, your final thoughts on the colorized version? Uh, like I said at the beginning of the discussion, I didn't mind the colorization overall, but there is no reason to go out of your way to watch that one unless, like John said, you gotta you're uh, watching it uh, for the jokes. Because like if you're just watching it as it's on its own, the black and white version it's not only serviceable, like you're missing a whole lot. Uh, by watching it colorized, you're missing that atmosphere. You're missing that like enhanced bleakness. Uh, so yeah, if you just want to watch the movie on its own terms, the the black and white is like is basically like the only way to go. And uh, Marcus, your final thoughts on this film? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. When it comes to the original, I mean, it's it's basically you know a it's, it's, it's simplistic, but it's also and it's also low budgeted, but it's also immensely layered with an abundance of perspectives, nuances, themes, commentaries, elements, and all kinds of intricacies that will and have been, you know, examined, theorized, discussed, analyzed for the last 50 years, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, to have this version, this colorized version, it it doesn't take anything away from the legacy that the original has created, but it also is rather unnecessary. It is. I mean, it, you you can watch it for curiosity, absolutely. You know, you can you can watch it to see what kind of choices they've made with this. You can even watch it to see if it does anything a smidge better than the original. But its its existence is unnecessary. It's it's not anything that really adds to the legacy in any kind of way but it, it doesn't take away from it so at the end of the day i feel like it's it's just a matter of someone's choices but of course if it's a if it's the wrist track version then by all means absolutely because it's definitely worth it's definitely worth it then. yeah i would say like it's worth a watch as more of a curiosity to kind of see like a what if you know like mm -hmm. if this film had been in color from the very beginning it's definitely not necessary by any means, and it doesn't tarnish or ruin the, the original film by any means at all as well. But it, again, it's just like, it, I feel like it's a much more impactful film being in black and white. Being in color, it kind of lessens the impact that it has. But I would say if you do watch it, definitely watch the, the first Rift Tracks version of this 
film because they do have like if you go on Tubi or anywhere else where it's playing, which is the pre-recorded riff tracks version, uh, they do have it on the colorized version. So I'd say if you're curious to watch the colored version of this film, definitely do it with the commentary. So at least that way, it's kind of a much more as adds another layer of enjoyment to the watch. But I think as a version on its own, yeah, this is a film that doesn't necessarily need to be in color. So it probably you only need to watch it once, and that's pretty much it. Now, we'll move right along to the big main topic of our conversation for this episode. And that, of course, is the Riff Tracks live version of Night of the Living Dead, which came out in 2013. Still can't believe Dad wanted a tombstone with the F word on it so many times. Just wanted to crush them. That was my high school yearbook quote. <laughs> the racket sounded like the place was being ripped apart. How were we supposed to know what was going on? Rob Cordry is right. You just... How can you smile like that all the time? Dianetics. It's really a carpentry movie first yeah. and a horror movie only second. Yeah. Yep. I dreamed a dream in times gone by. We have to go downstairs now, Barbara. Barbara isn't here, Mrs. Torrance. She's right. We have to go downstairs now, just for the until we get. Norman. So just Norman. Pretty much. I'm damp. <laughs> she just realized she's alone in a room with Norman. She's <laughs> gotten in there. No day is complete until Norman roots around in the can. <laughs> okay, say what you want about zombies. At least none of them are Instagramming pictures of their meal. <laughs> yeah. It's like a dancing kid in a Peanuts cartoon. Rombies? This place is boarded up pretty solid now. Uh, windows right behind me, notwithstanding. The logical end to the Honey Boo Boo saga, right here. Come to up here. Mr. Cooper? Come hang with us. We'd all be a lot better off if all three of us were working together. Ah! Ah! Sometimes there's raisins. It's time for Riff Okay, if they pass a sign for Valley Lodge, I'm leaving. Yeah, right? Me too. It was directed by Don Carr and written by... Bill Corbett, Connor Lestoska, I probably butchered his last name, so please forgive me. Uh, Kevin Murphy, Michael J. Nelson, Mike Schuster, and Sean Thomason. And of course, starring Bill Corbett, Kevin Murphy, and Michael J. Nelson. And of course, the plot summary for this Riff Tracks live version. Yes, there is a plot summary for this uh, version. Is Riff Tracks does George A. Romero's classic Night of the Living Dead live. I see what they did there. Um, <laughs> so we'll get straight to it. Now, from my understanding, uh, and you pointed out this, pointed this out to me the other day, Amy, that there are two version, Rift Tracks versions of Night of the Living Dead. Like I said, there's a pre-recorded version that they recorded, I believe, in 2008 or 9, which you can listen to on its 
own or with the film on its own. And then, of course, there's this Riff Tracks live version, which they did as a, in front of a live audience in Nashville. Now, we're going to be talking mainly about the live version because I feel like there's a lot more here to discuss compared to the previous one. But I did watch both in prep for this episode. So, and I assume we all have as well. So we can like discuss the kind of the differences between the two, because there is a lot of differences between the two versions, not for the fact that one was done live and one was just recorded in a studio. So we'll get straight to it. And uh, John, tell us your overall thoughts of Riff Tracks Live, Night of the Living Dead. This is one of my, like, go-to, when I'm doing something else, put it on in the background pieces of media. It's it's just such a fun take on it. It's, I mean, it's it's a roast, you know, it is, they, they are making some fun of the movie, but you can tell that they really engaged with it. You can tell that this is something where they have probably watched this movie more times than just about anybody except for the deep fanatics who watch it like as a yearly thing and they're paying attention to the tiny little details they've watched it so many times that they know the plot by heart and so they're looking at the background going wait that window doesn't have boards on it or man they really went overboard with the cricket noises and so they're <laughs> having a lot of fun and it's it's a very good-natured kind of comedy roast of one of my favorite movies and uh Amy, your thoughts on the riff tracks live version of night of the living dead uh i gotta say overall this isn't one of my favorite uh live live shows that they did i think like there's you know some good jokes here and there but overall it's a lot of repetition it's a lot of wow uh barbara's acting real spacey and a lot of oh harry is acting real mad and then a lot of oh hey this movie's boring and so it's kind of like variations on that and not a whole lot of them so they just kind of hammered the same the same points just over and over there's quite a few you know good uh gags in there and jokes but uh which i mean sure we're gonna we're gonna get into in a little bit but yeah just overall basic thoughts uh it was it was fine and i kind of realized uh that i had seen this before i thought that i hadn't because i don't know that i've seen all of the live shows yet uh but i had seen this one mostly because when the the norman short because this is preceded by uh another appearance by a, a white pale lifeless ghoul uh named norman who tries to give a speech in this like canadian psa question mark uh just little little thing it's like oh yeah i remember this now <laughs> <laughs> and uh marcus your thoughts on the this version of the film uh well i mean it's uh when you watch the riff track live uh, versions of pretty much any of these movies you know they're always going to be a, a tad on the distinct side so it's it's kind of it's one of those things where it's 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 good but it's also not their best but when they hit it. it, it it's, it's hilarious. And I do believe, you know, uh, you know, uh, adding on to what John said, you know, it, I believe it's it's pretty much because they do genuinely love this film. So, I mean, we've seen them and heard them when they've been particularly nasty on a film. And I mean, like, just completely just decimating it. 
you know, and we've seen them when they've been completely laid back. And I think this is one of their more like laid back kind of uh, excursions because, you know, they love the film. So it, it it's coming from a very lighthearted place. It's not too, you know, harsh. I mean, there's some harshness, but not too harsh. And um, it kind of, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It makes me at least enjoy the film a little bit more because I know it's, it's not coming from a this film sucks kind of standpoint. You know, it, it's more like a, hey, you know, this film has some issues, but hey, you know, we love it anyway. So let's let's, let's laugh together. It uh, It's definitely, like I said, not one of their best and not one of their worst, but it's definitely one of their more uh, their more solid, you know, presentations. Mm. Well, this was my first time watching both versions of uh, Night of the Living Dead from Rift Tracks. Now, I watched the the one that, the pre-recorded one they did first, so I can just sort of compare that with the live version. And I will admit that the pre-recorded version, while it was entertaining, it wasn't as consistently funny as I thought it was going to be. Like, yeah, there definitely were some jokes that definitely landed, but there were other ones that kind of just didn't hit me as much as it did some with certain ones. And also there were a couple of jokes that I was like a bit eh on as well. So I was kind of curious to see how the live version of this retracts would uh, would compare. And I got to admit, I actually enjoyed this version, this live version, a lot more. Like, I think some of, the, some of the jokes that did work for me in that previous version are brought back here, but they created a whole bunch of new jokes. So it's almost mm-hmm. as if, like, they kind of went back to the old version, re-listened to it, kind of picked the jokes that worked some, and kind of discarded the ones that didn't work and just put in new jokes. Because there was a lot of jokes in this version that I don't recall hearing in the previous version. And in my opinion, it actually made the film a lot better because like a lot more of the jokes landed for me this time around. Uh, There were some ones that did legit make me laugh out loud as well. Like, yeah, of course, like you say, AB, there's definitely some repetition with certain gags, especially with certain running gags in terms of Barbara and also Harry and that. Like some of it, yeah, some of it didn't quite work, but there were moments where it did for me. And I think also having it done with a live audience definitely adds to it as well. Because you can definitely see, sort of compared to the pre-recorded version, that uh, Mike, Bill, and um, and Kevin, they're kind of even more engaged with the riffing on this one. And also, like, and obvious their love for the film does shine through it as well. And I, I was kind of curious to see how they would do with a film like Night of the Living Dead compared to other films they've done, like, because Night of the Living Dead, compared to other films they have done, either with other riff tracks or even back on the days on MST3K, like it's such a serious and bleak film. So I was kind of curious to see how they were going to approach the humor of it. And I think they did a pretty good job, like making a lot of jokes that were legit funny, pointing out things that I'd never even noticed before, or at least kind of noticed, but hearing someone else say it as well kind of made it like my thoughts on these certain little things kind of justified in a way, particularly like with Ben talking about, oh, he's gone up and boarded up all the windows and doors, but yet in the background, there's one window that still hasn't been boarded up yet. (laughs) Or even like now, I'm never going to watch this film the same way ever again. Now that they pointed out the cricket sounds in, (laughs) in this movie. I was going to say, if anything, like the one, uh, 
the one bonus or the one uh, win in the pre-recorded versions column is as a Midwest girl, I appreciated the Wisconsin jokes <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> like, you know what? If you're being chased in by a pale, ugly man into a dingy old house, yeah, that's just Wisconsin. And then they like go out to the body that's dripping blood. And Mike's like, I hate to harp on it. Still Wisconsin. And it's like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but yeah overall i really enjoyed this version of the film so i guess even though yes we do know the plot of of night and living dead so we'll kind of go through uh this film particularly certain moments or jokes or scenes that made us laugh and of course like you've already stated uh this live version and i wasn't aware of this until you know i started watching it is that it opens up with a little short beforehand which is called uh norman makes a speech now, I wasn't sure what to expect from this short, but it did make me laugh. And you can definitely tell they were having way too much fun, like, riffing this short film. And uh, I actually wrote a lot of the jokes down as notes. I think I wrote over at least nearly 120 notes on this film alone. This mainly, like, little gags and lines and stuff that just uh, that's made me laugh. And, of course, they really go at this guy, Norman, in this short film. So, I guess... Uh, Marcus, your thoughts on the opening little uh, section of the film with Norman makes a speech. What did you think of their riffing in terms of this section of the film? I mean, they always go pretty hard on Norman. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they've done quite a few shorts with him, and every single time they, they, they just tear him apart. And then what's, what's, hilar- what's so hilarious about it is even if they didn't, like these shorts are just funny by themselves. Like, I, I still don't particularly understand the overall goal of them, except just to show how, you know, messed up Norman's life is or something. And just <laughs> say, hey, everybody, look at this guy. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not him? <laughs> and and unfortunately, it kind of works because we do kind of laugh. And, you know, but we're also like, well, oh, man, this poor man. But <laughs> it's... um. <laughs> But they always uh, go pretty hard on him, and it's always pretty hilarious. And, you know, this was you know, not any different. Laughed a, a lot, and it, it was still pretty confusing, you know, as John said, you know, PSA, like, wait, what? Okay, well, whatever. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, but no, I mean, I liked it. it. It was fun. It was fun. And also, like, I think they say during their riffing is, like, uh, Eeyore would say that uh, Norman is the most depressing son of a bitch alive. <laughs> 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 and, uh, Amy, your thoughts on this uh, opening short for the, the for this film? Oh, Norman is America's Canadian sweetheart. He is just a, a bundle of misery who exists to, <laughs> to make us laugh. And it really is, because Rift Tracks does, uh, make fun of a lot of like industrial movies or kind of like PSA-ish things that are intended like to s- to sell something else where it's like oh we have like a stop motion animated thing that's teaching kids about you know safety when crossing the street or, or it's like I'm I've met a magic car it's gonna tell me about Fords and or whatever and it kind of that's what the it the feel of the Norman shorts do but they ever get around to selling something and so it's like they just took that part out whatever they were going to sell so instead you just kind of have this 
comic creation. Like, I don't know if they were trying to make like Mr. Uh, like their own Mr. Bean happen. Canada is just like, okay, we, we got this guy who's just life is shit. That's all we got, you know. Laugh at, laugh as you will, uh, but you can tell by watching the shorts themselves, like even uh, removed from the commentary, that the the crew of these of the Norman shorts, all of them, like you, they know what they're doing, and so they just kind of make that they go with that over the top, like life hates Norman. The Charlie Brown rain cloud is just constantly over him. So in making a speech, like everything that possibly go wrong does like the the maid or, or like the cleaning lady like vacuums up a lot of his slides and he he loses his papers in the toilet uh which you know he's practicing he has them teetering right on the sink and it's like and even the uh rift tracks guys are like oh gee i wonder what's gonna fucking happen there <laughs> and it's like yep on cue they just fall right in uh so yeah they know what they're doing and the norman shorts are are, are always a good time. Also, is it just me, or does Norman's speech look like a script for a film? Because that's what the how it's formatted looked like a script, <laughs> rather than an actual speech. It just made me laugh when I see saw that. And but I, uh, I, I, I was more I was more distracted by how Norman looks like Raymond J. Berry. <laughs> <laughs> and also, his uh, boss looks like Blofeld. Uh, who's now working in uh, middle management. Middle, middle yeah. management. <laughs> and uh, John, your thoughts on this uh, opening short for the Rift Tracks live version? Well, I do think that the Norman shorts are supposed to be funny. They are supposed to be like, like Amy said, like a Mr. Bean type thing where he never talks, but you know, the comedy is all of the the wacky misadventures he has. And I think that that's what makes the Rift Tracks treatment of them really impressive just from a structural standpoint is one of the things they don't do very often in Rift Tracks or MST3K or Cinematic Titanic, they don't make fun of comedies because it's really hard to tell jokes about jokes. It's kind of a putting a hat on a hat thing. You're All you wind up doing is just pointing out someone's punchlines for the most part and making them unfunny by explaining them, but for whatever reason, with the Norman ones, it works, I think, because they do take that misery of this character and amp it up even beyond the level that the short does. So you get that, you know, that line about uh, raise your hand if you've got a paper, uh, a clothespin clipped to your wiener, you know, it's like, yeah, that is that is a level of humor that they weren't willing to go to in the original. <laughs> yeah I, I enjoyed this short like i said i didn't know what to expect and i think i agree that it, it's obvious like these shorts are meant to even just based on my opinion on this very first one of norman like it's obvious like they are going for jokes in this short but it's very obvious like with uh, the guys how they riff this section is like like the what is happening in this short is it's very easy to make fun of but they do it in such a loving way it's like oh norman <laughs> you klutz so it it was really funny and there were little like little throwaway lines and gags that did make me laugh like again i had to write down some of these because going to the imdb page of uh the live version of this film i like there's no like you know quote section so i had to write some of these down so i wouldn't forget like like the bit where 
the maid, I mean, the cleaning lady comes into Norm's office and she kind of moans and they just say, oh, they're about to have a moan off. So, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like Marcus said, like, there is a love, there, there is a love for uh, Norman on behalf of the Rift Tracks people because even before the short starts, they're like, Hey, we need to inaugurate this uh, this Norman Shore with like his signature catchphrase, leading everyone in the auditorium with a collective, which is <laughs> <just> Norman's catchphrase. <laughs> and even like throwing in the occasional dark joke as well. Like there was one where like something happens and Nor- they say like as Norm, so it's like, oh my, do not resuscitate instructions are ruined. <laughs> <laughs> or even like. Um, or even just the bit where he's like about to do the speech and he's trying to put up like a little, you know, like a board with all his papers and everything keeps falling down. And it's like, and they just say, oh, Norman, just picture everybody naked. And he's and they're like, I'm always pitching everyone naked. I am. I'm always am. <laughs> and it just makes that scene even funnier. And then, of course, like uh, towards the end, it's, it's towards the end of it. It's like. And finally, God pees on Norman. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking of the warm-up joke they have him tell where, you know, why do we drive on parkways but try to asphyxiate ourselves in the garage? Like, that is a very dark joke. But (laughs) in that context, it really works. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, it's an enjoyable way to start off the film. And now, like, this being my first time watching a, a live version of Rift Tracks, I'm going to have to watch the other ones now so I can see more Adventures of Norman. So this version of the film has definitely succeeded in that regard, because I want to see more shorts with Norman. But uh, we'll get straight to the actual feature presentation of the Rift Tracks live version, which, of course, is Night of the Living Dead. And interesting enough... Unlike the pre-recorded version, which they added onto the colorized version of this film, it, this version that they play in the for the audience is the original black and white version. Compared to sort of how this version starts off, compared to the other one, what made this one this version of the of the riff tracks definitely had me right away because of uh, two jokes in particular. The first one of the first jokes being like, "Oh no, it's a high, it's a nightmarish." And I'm probably probably paraphrasing, so forgive me if I get the actual quote wrong, but it's along the lines of, oh, no, it's a highway where your phone drops to 3G. No! (laughs) Which I can relate. That is a nightmare experience for me, going anywhere where my phone drops to 3G. Yeah, during that, like, the opening credits, like, that's where you get one of the first like really big differences between the, the pre-recorded one and the live version because in the live version at one point they're like if, if they pass a sign for valley lodge let's get out of here and I, that's in the live version and not in the pre-recorded one obviously a reference to the manos the hands of fate and you can tell everyone in the audience appreciate that because you hear the Woo! <laughs> he said the thing <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah or even like uh there's more on the are we there yet? Then there wasn't. Are we there yet? The movie, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and also like another thing that this film point this riff tracks points out to me, like once the, Barbara and Johnny get to the cemetery and they had their little discussion in the car about like the you know Johnny just just being annoyed by the fact that they have to drive so many hours to go to this cemetery to drop off the reef for their father, and of course they just point point out. <laughs> not just in this version but also the previous version 
It's a why did you what I can't believe none of this was brought up on the drive there. Yeah. It's only literally <laughs> they're talking about it right now. So. Which is a great line, but I think we all know that Johnny was bringing it up the entire drive there and will be bringing it up again, or would have been bringing up again the entire drive back. This is a conversation they've had every year. <laughs> that, now, now you can, uh, that, that is a good point, because that, with that in mind, now you can understand why Barbara is just extra, just like, I am fucking done with you, Johnny, just like... Stop it. <laughs> I've gone through three hours of this. <laughs> or even uh, once they uh, see the cemetery zombie. <laughs> Another kind of one-liner that just made me laugh as well. And where is it? Because I know I've got it here. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, is that Bernie from week of Weekend of Fame? Once they see the <laughs> uh, cemetery zombie. And then, of course, like they just fire as the cemetery zombie fight back with i'm just here to bury my wife you asshole <laughs> uh yeah the, the cemetery zombie I, I forget if it was a line in the live version as well but i know it at least was in the uh the pre-recorded one where he's just kind of like shuffling shuffling around like and they make like a like oh he's doing his joe cocker impression oh yeah (laughs) i think it was in this version because i didn't remember that joke in the uh pre-recorded version (laughs) yeah where he's he's just going like just just around like it's like yeah there's joe cocker (laughs) or even with like the uh is the is the bangs Bangs, oh. bangs. Actually, think of some bangs that hide that giant forehead. <laughs> I, I was about to bring up that same joke, Marcus, because I heard that, and I'm like, Barbara really does have a giant forehead. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's worth pointing out that, again, this is actually the third version. They, The original version they did for Legend Films was just Mike, and it's a weird commentary track because... This is right after they they finish MST3K and they don't really know whether this is going to be a comedy track or an informational track. And so he is telling some jokes, but he's also just dropping a lot of information about the production of the movie in there. And so the Ooh. three riffer version is them kind of dropping out the informational stuff and they're not quite sure what to replace it with yet. And yep. the live version, they've workshopped a lot of these jokes and they figured out what to put back in there. So you get, like, in the in the original version, Mike points out just how Judith O'Day's wig does not match her real hair in any way, shape, or form. But that's not funny. That's just informational. Mm-hmm. And so by the live version, they're doing the joke about the bangs. <laughs> And again, it's like one of the, I guess, great but also annoying things about both Riff Tracks versions of this film is that they point out little things I'm never going to unsee them every time I watch Night of the Living Dead. Because I'm going to be thinking, like, Barbara really does have a massive forehead in this film. (laughs) And as somebody who has a massive forehead, I can relate. So it is, it's just look. It's just like little things like that that just just make me laugh. But of course, like eventually, uh, they get Barbara gets to the farmhouse, and of course, like once they get, she wanders around the farmhouse, uh, the riff tracks just keep firing, firing, especially when she goes into the lounge room and sees all the animal heads on the wall, and the guys just riff like, 
Bambi, Pumbaa, another Bambi. And, <laughs> and, and then Ben appears. Thank goodness compared to the, one of the previous films I talked about uh, for this show, uh, Night of the Day of the Dawn of the Son of the Bride and whatever. Um, they don't do like uh, a stereotypical uh, African-American accent with the character. Thank goodness. Uh, they just yeah. use their normal voices. Again, thank goodness. But there is some great little gags in there. And one of my favorite ones, and I don't know why this made me laugh so hard. This was just after when when Ben goes up the stairs and finds the dead body that Barbara sees before. And he comes back downstairs to discuss. Barbara's against the wall. And they just let out a, I dreamed a dream of time gone by. (laughs) (laughs) That made me laugh so hard. (laughs) <laughs> and I think I legit was crying. One of my favorite bits from the live version was, uh, I think it was like some point towards the end or like in the climax. And uh, Barbara's like on the couch and she's just kind of, she's just kind of going on like, oh no, they're like, they're still out there just kind of going on. And just the timing of it, it cuts to Ben loading up their shotgun. And <laughs> I think Bill's like, hey, Bob, you want to come here for a minute? <laughs> Just go outside for a second. <laughs> I did the timing on that was so perfect. <laughs> and also just other little jokes like Barbara's going up against the wall. Like I'm pretty much just going in chronological order with the jokes I have here on my notes. Um, so apologies for that. Uh, so basically, she she goes up against a wall and she is like, "Oh, this flat wall reminds me of Johnny." <laughs> <laughs> For me, one of the best jokes in that segment, and it's just the delivery. It's not it's not even an especially funny joke, but the way it's delivered when Ben first comes into the room and they go, young President Obama, thank goodness you're here. <laughs> they do that joke in both versions, actually. Mm. I, I kind of preferred that joke compared to the other kind of joke that they preferred in the original version, where they sort of compared Ben to Ike Turner. I thought, oh no, that's uh, a, a little, that's a little too much for me. Um, that's oh, almost Ike Turner's coming out. Uh, no, that was almost night of the day of the dawn kind of territory there for me. Um, I was getting flashbacks of that, and um, <laughs> but also they really go at Barbara in both versions of this film like yes granted barbara is a bit more passive once ben appears in the film and she is understandably traumatized and basically catatonic throughout most of the film but they really go at him (laughs) versions yeah they literally used to say like oh some remark about like unlikable female protagonists it's like well just give her a break come on <laughs> or even like when she does start talking at one point, and they even have one of the characters say, I miss the days when she wasn't talking. <laughs> Barbara is like the Meg Griffin of uh, Night of the Living Dead. It's like they just hate her for no real reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't have been surprised at one point if they just shouted out, Shut up, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 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 she very rarely talks. Like, that's one of the that's one of the best jokes is when they go oh my god you talk (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a couple other little like lines that i wrote down that made me laugh as well like when ben is outside fighting the zombies and i had a laugh because they point out it's like oh it's zombie jiminy glick and it does look (laughs) like 
Or even like uh, zombie Kenneth the Page from uh, 30 Rock. I'm like, he really does look like Kenneth, Kenneth the Page from that show. Um, and of course, like, it's like... Joke for both versions, too. Oh, yeah, they did. And that was like one of the jokes that made me laugh in both versions. So that I'm glad they sort of kept that for this one. But also... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I think if you get the physical DVD, they actually have a gallery of celebrity lookalike zombies in there that you can page through. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and also, like, uh, one uh, that made me laugh as well, it's like when Ben's just beating up the zombies. It's like, oh, he was the high school pinata champion. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's just like a silly joke where it's just like, as, as a concept, you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> And so it's just weird on its own, and you just, you just can't help but laugh. Oh, jeez. Like, there's so many jokes. I do have a, quite a lot that I did write down, but I'm kind of curious to, if any jokes in particular stand out for any of you. Uh, John, was there any jokes, like, especially in this middle section of the film, where that kind of stood out for you, or one-liners? Well, for me, I, I'm always a big fan of the Wisconsin gag, which that's left over from the original, and... and the in fact in the original there's a line when when Ben says we gotta get out of here we've gotta find some place where there's people Mike's like again something people in Wisconsin say every single day <laughs> and so every single one of those Wisconsin gags land for me I know part of it is you know interstate rivalry but it never stops being funny <laughs> and um, Amy what do you, any jokes that stand out to you in this middle section of the film? Uh, oh, I'm trying to think of, like, uh, middle section jokes. Like I said before, I like I liked the one where it just cuts to Ben, like, loading the shotgun. And it's like, yeah, Barb's go sad for a second. And uh, I know when they're watching the broadcast, uh, there's a... Like, there, it is a little bit of repetition with Harry, like, oh, he's real mad. And at just one point, he just goes, like, why aren't you in hell yet? <laughs> <laughs> I just like uh, the part when he's downstairs in the basement with Helen's daughter, and she, he's like, goes, goes up to his daughter, good doggy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I do, I do, I do like that bit where he, where Harry and his wife were downstairs, like debating, like, no, you should stay down here in the safest place. And you just hear like a muffled mic being like, oh, it's going great up here. Judy's making brownies. Still not loud. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, Marcus, yourself, any jokes stand out to you in this middle section? Oh my god, uh, so, so many. Uh, you, you, you mentioned, uh, dreamer, dreamer, days go by, you know, that one. Uh, another one, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, when Barbara is talking to Ben and he's like, you know, doing the boards, uh, I'm gonna pour some A1 on myself so the zombies can, you know, eat me up, you know, that one, that one's pretty funny. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, another one is, uh, oh my God. Actually, most of the, I, I will admit, I agree they do go hard on Barbara, but they're so funny. So a lot of, a lot of their, uh, <laughs> a really? lot of their calling her a zombie and, and every time Ben's talking and, and, uh, Mike is like, oh, look at my audience, you know, like, <laughs> look at who I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> or even like uh, one joke that made me laugh was like oh, Lars and the real girl had more chemistry <laughs> uh, 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention the the line about why don't they just turn this into a montage? Just set it to taking care of business, have wacky scenes where Barbara's trying to hammer with the claw end, and we're done with this scene. <laughs> ben keeps some nails in his mouth, pretends to swallow one to make Barbara laugh. <laughs> or even when in the scene where Barbara is freaking out, wanting to go find Johnny, and there was a joke they just regularly put out. Was, oh, this is what I imagine what it would be like stuck in an elevator with Nancy Grace. <laughs> and I think it's a different celebrity with the with the colorized version, right? Don't they mention a different uh, yeah, they, they, yeah, Kathy Griffin. Yeah, and then in the in the original one, it's Sally Struthers, so it's different each time. <laughs> well, well, they, well, they did that, too. It's like, we need to go somewhere where there's people, and in the colorized one, it's, so not in the theater showing Delgo, and in the live one, it's, so not in the theater showing the Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> or even, like, as soon as, like, the bit where Ben has to slap Barbara, and they just basically just say, and kids, that's just how I, and that's how I met your mother. <laughs> <laughs> and then even when, like, there's other jokes here, because I had to write some down, and even there were, like, a couple little one-liners that made me go, oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> but there was, like, as soon as, like, Harry appears, and they just say, Rob Corddry was right. And I'm like, he does look like Rob Corddry. Oh, God, yeah, before they even said a word. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And um, one that, another joke that made me laugh, because again, this is so accurate. They're sort of moving everything, Barbara and Ben are just moving everything around. And they basically say, helping a friend out with a move is worse than the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) And having done a few moves in my life, I can agree to that. (laughs) I I, I do like the where like Ben sends Barbara, it's like, hey, get some wood, and so we can bar these up. And she just finds like a couple of tiny like little scraps. It's like, oh yeah, you you did good, honey. If we need to make a picture frame, we're all set. <laughs> <laughs> like that'll help, yeah. <laughs> these will help. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also like when the uh, the naked zombie appears. And they pretty much are like, oh, she's not a zombie. She just wants to party. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Or even like when they had the zombies together and they're like, it's really, oh, guys, you're doing it all wrong. They're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was the one? um, Like, oh, God, Joanne's eating a bug. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's like, oh, she's eating a bug. Gross. Those things work so well because they're so, you know, everybody has watched this movie so many times that we're zeroing in on individual zombies and individual moments. And those are like kind of crowd pleaser moments for the big fans, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm just still looking at my notes and they're just little specific lines that still make me laugh. Hence why I'm kind of going through in chronological order. Um, <laughs> even just like, uh, I think one of the characters says when Harry's like yelling and it's like, oh, he needs to go upstairs. He needs more, needs more yelling room. Um. <laughs> right around that same time for me when they're watching the TV and Harry's like, shut up. And they, uh, and they uh, go, oh, it's the Bill O'Reilly home game. <laughs> <laughs> or even like when he walks, Harry walks past the screen and he's just like, stupid audience can go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid brother dying. I'm sorry for your loss. 
Or even there, there's so many like jokes, and I'm glad I wrote some of these down because I probably wouldn't be able to remember like most of them. Um, because <laughs> like uh, one joke that again sort of made me laugh as well is like uh, they do this a lot with Helen. Uh, every time she's talking to Barbara and she's just like, being Helen Cooper is great. I should know. I'm Helen Cooper. Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) And every time they cut back to her, it's like, I'm Helen Cooper. I'm Helen Cooper. I always feel like they're very good at that. Finding a particular piece of dialogue that's just so oddly phrased that it Mm -hmm. sticks in your mind and then coming back to it as a callback again and again and again. Oh yeah, like um, on my one of my other shows that I co-host, the Two B Tuesdays podcast. Our pretty much one of our favorite things is we hyper focus on one little thing or one little thing I one of us notices, and we just milk it for all it's worth with running gags throughout the rest of the episode. So I love the fact that they did do that by pointing out with Helen like just saying I'm Helen Cooper, and they just keep focusing on that throughout <laughs> the rest of the episode of the show particularly even when she's dead with the little spade thing in her body they just cut to her and, she, and they just say i'm helen cooper <laughs> i should know i'm helen cooper <laughs> exactly but one of my favorite ones is like again barbara's talking about johnny and another thing <laughs> what barbara does in these scenes again i've never really noticed these things so she's like sitting there touching a doily and <laughs> I'm laughing way more than I should be in this episode. Um, (laughs) And the joke is, you're my only friend, Doily. (laughs) (laughs) Another another uh, little bit that I liked is when like they start when they're watching the broadcast. I think it's like one of the second reports where it's like they're talking to the government officials, and it's like, oh, and it's a South American dictator (laughs) they're interviewing. And it's like, yeah, he just has, like, so many medals and, like, the hat. And it's like, yeah, we just overtook Belize. (laughs) (laughs) Or even just, like, when they go back to the newscaster, Eddie's talking to another newscaster. It's like, oh, this was back in a time when all newscasters were cloned in a lab. (laughs) Um, I I particularly like the bit where Barbara is kind of recapping what happened to her with Johnny and she says, Johnny wanted candy. And then they go, well, that was when he was five. I should probably skip ahead. <laughs> another, speaking of Johnny, again, this was another conversation where Barbara brings up Johnny. And he's like, and as Harry, they say, oh, her brother is dead. He should have found himself a cell himself. Because <laughs> they really, that's another joke. They really go with Harry. It's like he goes on so much about the cellar. <laughs> He really does, yeah. <laughs> to the point where it's like before he dies, it's almost like he wants to make love to the seller. <laughs> <laughs> Tell myself I love it. <laughs> your mustiness and I will be together forever. They comment on that a, a lot. And another one I particularly love is the sexual tension between Ben, Mr. Cooper, and Tom. <laughs> Yes, yes. Oh, like, oh, just make out already. Can't just, you see you love each other? Love. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or even just like, uh, 
they talk about like how to stop a zombie on the newscast what you need to do to stop a zombie and then the newscast is like oh if you're a zombie please disregard this message (laughs) (laughs) for me the one of my favorite moments i think in the whole thing is from the newscaster where he's talking about how you you need to destroy the body immediately and he's like take it outside and burn it they go god damn it why aren't you doing it right now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i was gonna say another good bit is like early on when uh barbara's looking like the one uh zombie corpse that ben took care of i was like sneaking up behind her he's like don't look it's like only i can look at this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he drags outside it's like I'm taking out here like, to get some privacy only I can look at it none of you freeloaders uh, <laughs> even just like how they sort of like with uh, Tom talking about the truck he's like only I can know how to drive the truck it's like Ben drove it all the way here I think he knows how to drive the truck too um, <laughs> and it's, and also, like it's a, a- particularly complicated truck i mean it's not like a semi or something it's just a pickup yeah <laughs> <laughs> or one he thing an- another forgot how to drive. <laughs> exactly exactly and another one again another thing they pointed out and i'm never gonna unsee this every time i watch the film and it's like with tom and it's like let my lego ma- let my lego man hair comfort you and his hair does look <laughs> like like lego hair <laughs> <laughs> comes off in one piece <laughs> but one joke I think because there are a lot of jokes that actually did get re- I mean all the jokes kind of got reactions from the audience but the really big ones like that got the audience to actually applaud is during the scene where the zombies are actually you know eating the remains of Tom and Judy and they're, they're just going so it's like say what you will about these zombies but at least they're not Instagramming their meals <laughs> <laughs> and the audiences went just applauded that joke and even like when they're trying to drive away and it's like oh they're going to drive faster than the speed of fire <laughs> <laughs> they're slowly getting away <laughs> and even when they show like the bug eating zombie before that's like oh Tori Amos has gone feral <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> or, uh, again, I'm just pointing out jokes here right now. Uh, or even when the zombies are about descending onto the house, uh, Helen's trying to hold herself back up against the door to make sure they don't come in. Like, the zombies have got their hands coming through, and, like, she can easily back away from that, from the wall. And they just point out, basically, moving is not an option for Helen Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> or even, or like, when... And they're like, oh, man, you're you're so tense right here. Like, they're, like, massaging her neck. <laughs> <laughs> or even, like, during the, um, <clears throat> when they talk to the sheriff who's in the news footage. And they pretty much, as soon as, like, the sheriff says, oh, yeah, we're with, oh, we found the zombies, we beat them off. And it's like, you beat them off? And they go with that joke throughout the rest of the episode it's like make sure not make sure to beat off those zombies (laughs) (laughs) don't do that they love that (laughs) again it's it's just zeroing in on that thing that really 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 has a total transformative effect on how you're seeing the movie (laughs) (laughs) exactly and we're sort of getting towards the end of the film and of course like uh uh the (laughs) 
Helen and Helen and Harry's daughter, she becomes a zombie. She kills Helen. And I love that when they do this joke, there's like, oh, the logical, the logical ending of the Honey Boo Boo saga, which again made me laugh, but also got an applause from the crowd. And then uh, once the zombies kind of descend the house, Ben goes downstairs. Like there's a couple other more jokes that happen there. And I love that one of the guys, just as soon as the zombies come in, they're like, uh, hey, Jerry, as it's Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like they get doing that a lot. And also, again, another little thing I never even noticed about this scene is that they point out it's like, why is there a zombie po- pounding on the floor with a t- <laughs> with a table leg? And I never noticed that before until they pointed it out in this riff tracks. Yeah. And again, I'm never gonna unsee it. I don't. I, yeah. Oh yeah. Zombies do pick up a few things in this movie, which is kind of it's not it's not weird, but it's still a little bit like because we're so used to zombies not doing anything like that like and in and in, in this one they're a lot more just resourceful i guess is what we just say but yeah <laughs> yeah well we kind of talked about this in the first film because like they're still figuring because you know these aren't the zombies that we know and love even though yeah they're kind of the early stages of what zombies can be so they're just kind of working things out and so compared to say most zombies that we know now like these ones can use weapons and to hurt people or knock things down or smash out headlights it just makes sense because it's yeah exactly exactly and uh and yeah so it's just interesting just the little things that you never noticed before get pointed out and you're just never gonna unsee them ever again (laughs) yeah like yeah like the cemetery like the cemetery zombie early on trying to get into barbara's car and, and you see him just kind of like uh, uh ah brick just see that thought process whereas you know nowadays it would just be like just smash just go brah but yeah it's a little bit of thinking it's like uh, aha i can use this well the fact that they're afraid of bright <laughs> and, lights that's something that you don't see in hmm. any of the subsequent ones but it's not until the power goes out in the house that they all pick up you know whatever's around and start trying to break in in earnest they're afraid mm. of trying to break into a brightly lit house mm. yeah exactly and hence when the power goes out yeah when the power goes out that's when they basically are able to descend upon the house and then we sort of get uh to the next morning and i was again i was very curious to see how they're going to do this ending given how bleak this uh, ending is but before we get to it Again, they throw in some great jokes when we see the dogs with the uh, the townsfolk, and they're like, just yell out, uh, "Robbers!" As it like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and they just keep going with, "Oh, we're gonna go beat off some zombies now." And uh, but one joke I actually preferred in the pre-recorded version of the of the of Rift tracks compared to the live one is when the helicopter comes in. And I'm surprised they didn't go for this joke because this was what, a joke that made me laugh in the previous version. Was like, ah, oh, Bob Hope is coming here to entertain the zombies. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which made me laugh. And I'm surprised that they didn't put that in this version. And, uh, and of course, once we get to the bleak ending where Ben gets shot, you can definitely tell the mood kind of changes with the ripping because they... Like, the guides don't know how they're going to riff with this. It almost feels like they don't kind of want to riff with it, but they're trying to, but it's very uncomfortable. So they basically are just like, yeah, yeah, we're just going to wrap this up pretty quickly. <laughs> just as soon as they like, halfway through the photos. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, there's so many great moments. I guess before we kind of wrap up our, the com- 
our discussion on the rip, live rip tracks version of this film. Marcus, are there any final thoughts you have and also other little moments from it that that do make you laugh? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, like I said before, you know, this, uh, you know, the original film is basically, you know, uh, a turning point in cinema. It's a masterpiece. So, you know, any kind of jokes that they make in, in this riff track uh, in, in any of the versions, you know, because there is three of them. It doesn't take anything away from the, you know, from the brilliance or anything of the original. So watching this in this capacity, it, it, it works a hell of a lot more than in a few of the other movies that they've done where like they kind of, you know, dig into it. And then afterwards, your, your opinion of the film kind of shifts a little bit. But, you know, not with this one. Like it's it's still we can still laugh about, you know, all the things that they that they bring up and it's hilarious. I still, I can't <laughs> see. I know we've been laughing a lot about all these jokes and I'm laughing about, you know, what we're talking about and also the jokes I'm thinking of in my head, you know, uh, young Barack Obama, you know, glad you're here. And uh, this, the singing part and you know, them going in on Barbara so much, you know, you're my only friend doily and, and Helen Cooper and, Oh my God! Just, just, just so many different like hilarious jokes. One thing that's actually pretty interesting is that if you watch both versions, you know you can kind of see like which jokes can actually belong in both versions that they didn't actually use. Which honestly just lets you know that you know this is like both of these versions are just flat out hilarious. Doesn't take anything away from the original film. And, you know, you can just definitely have a nice little wholehearted time with it, even if it does get a little dark and mean <laughs> spirited at times. So, uh, but no, I mean, I, 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 like I said, it's like I said at the beginning of this, you know, it's not their best, it's not their worst, but it's definitely one of their, you know, one of their solid, you know, excursions. And, uh, Amy, your final thoughts and if any last jokes you can think of that stood out to you in this uh, live retracts version of Night of the Living Dead. Uh, no, we covered it pretty good. Uh, like, like Marcus said, Night of the Living Dead, like, it is, it is such, like, a landmark in terms of, you like, horror and movies in general, but it's not something that if someone was like, oh, I'm gonna make fun of Night of the Living Dead, you would get, like, oh, no, you can't do that, it's an unsullied classic, it's like, no, like, you're fine, because there are, you know, things to pick at, and, uh, they, they do a decent job of it, like I said, it's not one of my favorite ones even though like i've been you know chuckling at the one-liners and bringing up uh on, like jokes and stuff that i had did like uh like there is a lot of repetition and uh i think it really was highlighted in the live version because there's a lot of shots of uh barbara just sitting there and bill will just say like a non sequitur like i like colors and it just it's kind of like over and over it's like okay yeah we get it whereas in the in the in the pre recorded version the colorized one they didn't really say much like it maybe once so they didn't have every time barbara was there had to be like oh here's a spacey one-liner uh but, but yeah overall it was a, it was a fine show it's not one of the ones i go back to a whole lot but it's it's a good time it's a decent time and uh john your final thoughts on the film and if there are any like one-liners in this uh in this film that made you laugh feel free to share them with us 
Well, I think it's it's really a tribute to that kind of obsessive love that fans have for something where they watch it again and again and again and they dissect every little detail and they're paying super close attention and they're going over it almost second by second to pick up the little things that most people who watch it don't even notice and they're giggling about them and they become kind of shared in jokes between everybody like, Hey, check out the naked zombie. You know, it's, it is that kind of really wonderful experience to me. Um, and I do, by the way, encourage everyone to try to find the original. I think they sell it on the Rift Tracks website, but it's only available as a DVD. And it does contain one of my favorite jokes, which is as they come out of the photos at the end and you just see the pyre burning Mike says, and now after the intermission, we'll start the second half of the movie with all of the cast on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Um, I have to say, I really enjoyed the live Rift Tracks version of Night of the Living Dead. Like, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than the the previous pre-recorded version, even though that was still a pretty solid one on its own. But I feel like this one was a bit more consistent with the jokes being more like on fire than ones that kind of fell flat. And of course, having a live audience there watching it definitely adds to it as well, because you can definitely tell that Kevin, Bill and Mike are just having an absolute blast or even more engaged. And they're just, you know, they're just firing on all cylinders like, I think, again, their love for this film definitely does shine through. Like, they do point out things that you never noticed before, and they do have some running gags that, you know, some of them are okay, but others definitely still work. And like you say, Amy, there are definitely some repetitive moments throughout. Overall, I really enjoyed this one a lot. I definitely will come back to this one at some point. It is just a huge amount of fun. And also the Norman short that played beforehand was just a great way to start off this riff tracks as well. And I got to say, and this is kind of blew my mind when we got to the credits. Cause I was like, they had the, like the section of thank yous where they had, you know, people who, who contributed to the Kickstarter and I'm like watching it. And then I'm just looking at the names and I see, wait a minute, Deborah and wall from daredevil got a thank you. And I'm like, the actress, and then I looked up, and she's a huge MST3K Riff Tracks fan, and I did oh. not know this, and I'm like, you know, and that made me just like, because maybe even more of a bigger fan, it's like, holy shit, I did not realize that she's a huge fan, and I sort of read up a little bit more, and apparently she even contributed one or two jokes for the Starship Troopers Riff Tracks live episode as well, so... It kind of just blew my mind a little bit because I wasn't sure if it was the same person or not until I had to look it up and I'm like, oh, it's legit her. So, <laughs> but, awesome. um, oh, it is. Um, <laughs> and I met her too, but that's a whole different story. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess that could be a wrap on the, this episode of Bead versus the Living Dead. Thank you, Marcus, Amy, and John for joining me on this episode to talk about both the colorized version and the live Rift Tracks version of Night of the Living Dead. Glad to do it. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, and brains. <laughs> I think you mean bangs, Amy. Bangs. <laughs> bangs. <Yeah. laughs> I am never going to look at Barbara's 
forehead the same way ever again because of uh riff tracks i'm just putting it out there right now um <laughs> poor johnny's driving but, uh, gloves. exactly exactly he's, he's driving gloves so yeah that could be a wrap on this episode of the show and uh now before i ask all of you where people can find you on the internet i'm gonna actually give you one final question and it could be a quick little one. As somebody who's only just, this is my first live Rift Tracks episode I've seen. I've seen quite a lot of episodes out there on Tubi, Prime Video, and other places. And I've always, But I'm kind of curious, which ones should I start off with? Which other ones should I go to? So, Marcus, tell all of our audience, uh, where can people find you on the internet this week? And also for a newbie with, you know, the live versions of Rift Tracks and also our audience who are listening right now which is an episode of the show you think everyone should check out oh well uh you can find me on facebook you know uh, marcus wool turner and uh, you can find me on instagram and twitter at ego uh death demise and uh as far as riff tracks uh if we're talking live versions then i definitely Ooh. would recommend this one or uh maybe uh uh santa claus <laughs> or santa claus and the ice cream bunny or you know uh any of those yes. um but if we're talking but if we're talking about like rift tracks regular uh versions mm-hmm. oh easy the room nice <laughs> oh, always the room and- baby always the room <laughs> damn, damn straight damn straight uh amy where can people find you on the internet this week and also which are some episodes of riff tracks either live or pre-recorded uh do you recommend myself and other listeners to check out well uh you can find me and my boobs on twitter at call me amy doll uh it's amy a-m-i-e like the pure prairie league song uh as for riff tracks live versions if you're ever feeling in the holiday spirit no matter what time of the year the live santa claus uh, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, and the the Christmas short extravaganza, where you have uh, just a whole bunch of like cartoons and holiday shorts, and you got uh, Weird Al making an appearance, and they have like even some vintage commercials for weird products like the the Dinglings and King Ding, and <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing. It's it's nostalgia, but it's also super funny. Uh, in terms of uh, like regular Rift Tracks episodes, like look up a lot of their shorts. I'm really a fan of uh, the shorts, more so than the movies. The movie commentaries, movie commentary is fun. But for like shorts, uh, Magical Disappearing Money featuring like the uh, the uh, the grocery store witch, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the a lot of the shorts are a lot of fun. And uh, John, where can people find you on the internet this week? And also tell all, all of our audience about your podcast. Half Price Horror, and also what are some Rift Tracks episodes, whether live or pre-recorded, do you think we should all check out? Well, the podcast is Half Price Horror. It's on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, pretty much anywhere an anchor podcast uh, can go. Um, I should have uh, at Christmas just released my 75th episode on John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, on Nice. Yes, it's... It, it, the audio quality didn't turn out great, but I love the amount of information I was able to squeeze in about that movie. It's a great one. Um, I'm on Twitter at at half horror. I'm on Tumblr and Letterboxd as half priced horror. And if we're going, it, it depends a little on your tolerance for pain. 
because if you can <laughs> if you can withstand the worst movies ever, they do a great riff of things from 1989. Um, they do a great oh, riff. Oh yeah. Yeah. They do a great riff of the Star Wars holiday special. Oh, and man. they do a spectacular riff of this weird little fifty minute promotional movie for a vinyl balloon company called Fun in Balloon Land. Oh god, yes, yes, yes. Classic. <laughs> it is an absolute fever dream of a short. <laughs> And if you're going with live, they have a riff tracks live of Birdemic, Shock and Terror, which is just glorious. <laughs> I'll definitely have to check out all of these for sure. And once I do, I'll have to report back with all my thoughts on them. So definitely stay tuned for that. So uh, once again, thank you guys. Thank you all for appearing on this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in for this episode of the show. Like, I think some people will probably think, oh, we kind of gave away a lot of the best jokes from the Rift Tracks live version. But to be fair, that even though, yes, we did quote a lot of these jokes, it's more funny seeing them in the context of the scenes that they're played in. So, and also, it, it also, and also it adds another layer to it. So definitely still check out the Rift Tracks version, live Rift Tracks version of Night of the Living Dead, and as well as the pre-recorded one, as well so uh once again thank you for all of my listeners for joining in this episode of the show i hope you all had a great time listening to it now keep a lookout in two weeks time in which i'll be discussing the second remake of night of the living dead but this time though in the third dimension with night of the living dead 3d and as well as its prequel night of the living dead reanimation 3d stay tuned for that and we'll see you all then See everybody. Bye. <sighs> Bangs. <laughs> <laughs>Thank you for listening to this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice. Keep up on all updates of the show on the official Twitter account at BeadVSTLD. The music for this show was brought to you by Denno. See you next time, everyone. Goodbye.